Welcome to Buy, Grow, Sell, the podcast for entrepreneurs looking to acquire, grow, or exit a business, hosted by Simon Bedard. Hey there, it's Simon Bedard here. If you're brand new to the Buy, Grow, Sell podcast, then welcome. It's great to have you on this journey. Since its launch, I've interviewed many entrepreneurs that have bought, grown, or sold a business. And in some cases, they've completed all three steps and started all over again. Our goal is to share the stories of business owners that have traveled at least part of this cycle so that we can learn from their experience. Whether it's the dizzying heights of success or the hard lessons learned through adversity, we get to the heart of what drives success and how to apply these lessons on your journey. So join us for the best insights, interviews, and inside information on how to buy, grow, and sell a business straight from the entrepreneurs who've lived and breathed it. When Camilla Bohill made the hard decision to leave her career in banking and stay at home with her children, she made the sacrifice that so many career women do. Yet Camilla wasn't the type to stop moving, and soon after she started a small retail store importing Scandinavian goods for the Australian market. Throughout her 15 years of growing Nordic Fusion, Camilla shared a business partner, built out a wholesale component, and successfully grew an e-commerce platform that was turning over around $2.5 million when she exited in 2018. Learn how she juggled motherhood, entrepreneurship, as well as what happened when it came time to sell. This is Camilla Bohill. Hey, Camilla, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you. How are you? Yeah, very well, thank you. Thanks for making the time. My pleasure. Now, I know that we're going to get to a point where we talk about your business, Nordic Fusion, and, of course, businesses that you've started since then. But um, maybe just for our listeners, maybe you could kick off and just give us a quick overview of your background and kind of what led you to that point. Yeah, I am, um, as you probably can hear, I'm not Australian from the beginning. I'm Swedish. Um, moved uh, from Sweden to Singapore first uh, in banking and worked in Singapore for six years at, as a private banker. And at the end of that session, I had um, our firstborn, Linnea, and uh, stopped working um, in the at the end of that uh, that those six years. At the end of that contract, I actually had a container as an expat. I could transfer back to Sweden. It was part of my contract. And as I was not moving back to Sweden, I decided to fill that with goods retail things from uh, from Asia. So I did that. So that was my first experience of retail, really. Um, and uh, then eventually after a while, we moved to Australia. Uh, coming to Australia in 2002, there was no – my husband got a job where he traveled a lot, and we had at that stage we got our second child. And to move into the city and work as a part-time uh, private banker, that was not an option. There was no private. Uh, if you wanted to do uh, part-time work in the city, you could be an assistant at the max, but not higher as a woman. And and with my husband overseas all the time and two new young kids and no family, it was I just couldn't continue my career. I had we had to make a choice, him or me. So I stayed home and got after six months itchy feet. I couldn't just. I'm not saying just being home, but I wanted to do something else. 
and start to think about what can I do where I have an advantage um, on an average Australian person. So that's where it started. Yeah, great. And, and I'm, I'll ask you a bit more about Nordic in a moment, but but just out of curiosity, I mean, you, you spent a fair bit of time by the sounds of it in banking and, you know, it can be quite a um, – I don't know, it's prestigious and it seemed to be sort of certainly to outsiders can be seen to be quite exciting and whatever else. I mean, did, did you enjoy your time in that space? Loved it. I yeah. really, really enjoyed it. I, it was that time when you could spend a lot of time and work hard and you got, you got always something back from it. So if you put your time in and your effort in and your attitude at that age and that time of the era, I felt that I got rewarded constantly. And I, I'm a really boring person in that way. I love numbers. I love <laughs> calculating spreadsheets. Is my I love it. So it's at plus that I actually I really love being with people and selling at the same time. So it was a really good job. Mm. And and how did you feel when it, you know you've obviously made this decision between your husband and yourself and you know decisions for your family? I mean, how how did you feel? about, I guess, giving up this career that you enjoyed? I thought I was going to go back to it. So I thought I'd, I'd take a step back for a few years and uh, I thought that will be there, I have it. And I always thought that women who has been home with the children, I felt very sad because so quickly so many lose their confidence in, in the work life to enter the work life again. And I thought that will never happen to me. Because I felt, you know, young thirties and <laughs> very strong, but it surprisingly it does. It hits you very quickly, and you think you're not capable of. You think the market has moved beyond you, and the tech, uh, the softwares, and everything moved faster than you've been able to keep up. So, yeah, the, it was more like it. After a while, I realized, oh, have I missed the train? So I had to reinvent myself. Yeah, I imagine there's so many women out there who would relate to that. Um, you know, but it's, it's, that's an interesting concept too because, you know, you feel like you've lost a little bit of a sense of confidence, but, but ultimately you've gone on to start a business, which I, I think a lot of people would be more scared about that than, than going back into the workforce. Over. So I think you've been very brave to go and take that kind of a step. Yeah, it, it didn't feel like it's, to be honest, Australia is quite easy to set up business. So if you just feel that you have a good idea, it's it's an easy place to set up a business and start, get going as long as you can have the finances because that's probably the hardest thing, thing today to finance your idea um, as much as it's needed. So, Do you think Australia is – do you think it's harder to get – venture finance in Australia than perhaps other countries you've you've lived in and worked in? I, I actually I don't know. I I think there's quite a lot of venture capital here in Australia with uh, with lots of I think we have a, a pool of expats who's come back uh, a, a large pool, larger pool than other countries with expats who's come back and have lots of uh, or a fair bit of money in the pockets and they are interested to continue to be partly invested in new new businesses so it depends on what level you have your business so if you have a really good idea it's it's not australia's quite good 
Yeah, okay. Oh, that's interesting. Um, so obviously you've gone into start a business. So, so tell us a little bit about Nordic Fusion. What, what kind of business was it? We started as a little retail shop um, in uh, close close to home, so I could have uh, the kids uh, with me. I built a little crèche at the back of the shop where nice. I put Hugo in, <laughs> who was <laughs> six months old. And um, it was uh, when I opened up the shop. That was because I thought, "What can I do?" Which is where I have some experience. I would have easier to connect with Scandinavian suppliers and the average Australian. I had dealt with shipping containers from Asia. I did more than one and actually did end up started a business there before I left. Um, I um, So I thought that that would be something where I can be be of advantage to, to the normal Australian. So Scandinavia. And one more, I think it was before Christmas, my first Christmas here, was I tried to look for Christmas decorations and I found 2002 I found Christmas decorations here were very blingy and don't want to use that as it's very far from the Scandinavian style and it wasn't I couldn't all the strong colors for for us Scandinavians it's subtle it's candles it's peace it's it's more quiet and soft so I felt I missed that. So that was the, our first shipment was loads and loads of sand, small Santa clothes and gnomes from Sweden. Yeah, so nice. So that's how we nice. started. Yeah. Did you, when you started, kick the business off, were you the only shareholder or, or did you have other people investing in, in the business? It was uh, another lady I met uh, very early, uh, Guri, a Norwegian lady, and she was actually the one who started that and said, she said to me in the playground, said, oh, I want, wish I had a little shop. And I, I replied to her, why, why haven't you? She said, oh, you have to have set up, you have to prepare, uh, go to the bank, you have to prepare a business plan and you have to do all that. And I don't really have time. I said, no, you just need to buy some stock and sell it more expensive. So we started, I think, six weeks after that. That's um, I love that. Um, you know, I remember going through my MBA, and now uh, the the final lecture I had, he was a really, really smart and interesting guy. And he said, you know, business is not that complicated. There's a couple of key rules. Rule number one: sell more than you buy. <laughs> like make make more than you you actually spend. Um, yes. Num- yeah. Number r- rule number two is uh, make more than you spend, and rule number three is if you're still confused, check rule number one. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, I agree, and and I always um, I know early I was quite admirer of uh, Richard Branson and his attitude of uh, just find an opportunity, realize an opportunity, and grab it and go, go with it, and that's yeah. always been a part of my motto. Yeah, no, that's great. Um, so you decided to go into business with somebody um, that you knew as a friend. What, what, what did that look like? Did you guys talk about what was needed to invest and where you're going? Did you have a bit of a plan on how that how to launch? Yeah, we decided how much how much can we afford to lose um, and put into the business, and uh, so that. Uh, we had a talk at home, both of us, and we came up with fifteen thousand dollars each. And um, we ordered stock for thirty thousand dollars and put in the shop. And that's and then we we managed to get a very cheap rent 
Mm-hmm. which we painted up and did everything up in a few weeks ourselves and yep. started a very low budget and careful yeah, yeah. just to see how it worked. And so we're lucky to be able to do that. Yeah, that's interesting. So so you already had a retail shop by the time you were putting those orders in and, and getting that all happening? No, we ordered first and then secured the retail shop. Okay. Okay. That's yeah. interesting because it's. I think that whole and and look, gosh, the world's changed, hasn't it, in the last twenty years? But it's, uh, you know, I think the the thought of signing a lease and getting a premises uh, it can be quite intimidating for a lot of people. It's, yeah, it um, is, and and it should be because that can. I have done mistakes during the way as well, where I have signed up leases which were just made me lose money. So, yeah, yeah. it's uh, it should you should consider what you sign up for. Yeah, interesting. And um, so, tell me, what what did those first couple of years look like? It's it's two thousand and three. You're you know, I'm I'm thinking back here, and you know, the internet is now well in the swing of things. Did you launch a website? How did you? How did you? What did it look like trying to get this business up and running? Uh, we did launch on a website. One of we were very early. So it was two thousand three. We had our first website on. Um, being European, I always looked at what, how did our suppliers supply in Europe and in uh, Sweden mainly. And uh, online was already quite big then, there, not so big here. And, um, but it, it's, uh, so we opened up a website and those days you didn't need to invest that much. It was quite simple. It was like there were five different softwares. You picked the one which was best and you paid $150 a month to have it. And it's um, we had a student who kind of looked after it and uploaded images. Very cheap. So very different to when I sold the business later on what was required from the website. Um, but the main business was from the beginning retail. And then we realized to get better margins, we needed to import ourselves. So it was a constant, constantly to look at where can we get more, better margins? How can we get better prices on in the retail area? And um, from that, our wholesale business grew, which at the end was bigger than the retail business. Mm. Wow, that's interesting. Um- I'm fascinated a little bit, you know, with this whole idea of partnerships as well, because partnerships can be um, the absolute, you know, competitive advantage, the way people come together and collaborate, and it can also be be the one thing that tears people, you know, businesses apart. Did, did you guys sit down um, at the beginning and, and talk about, well, well for starters, did, were you both 50-50 in terms of the shareholding and yeah. stuff like that? 50-50. Yep. And um, we didn't talk we- – Bruce's husband was very, he's an accountant and very, um, very square, very particular, very (laughs) detailed, which is good because I am not and my husband is not. So it was very good to have someone like that. So he forced us to actually put a few things down on paper, which was great because that did help later on when Guri wanted to move back to Sweden, to Norway after a few years. And she wanted to sell her part to me. And uh, then we had already agreed, and I think that was super important. We had agreed that we were going to, at that stage, go to a third-party lawyer and valuer, which we both were going to hire where we have no arm's-length connection with. And so we did. So we saved money by only having one representing both of us, and we just had to accept his valuation. And 
So we did, both of us, and we're still very good friends. And I think that's, that's thanks to that. Yeah, that's brilliant. So, so many people fail to have that conversation. And did, did you did you formalise that in any sort of shareholders agreement or something like that or was it just a, an agreed kind of approach? We had it or? on paper. We did have it yeah. on paper because that was um, thanks to the Hedbergs. <laughs> but um, that was very good. And, and how far in did your business partner want to sell out? Like how many years? Uh, four years maybe, three, four yep. years. Okay. Yeah. And how was the business performing at that stage? It's had grown a little bit, but we both had young kids at that stage. We hadn't grown it very much because it, it all came out organically. It had to be when we had time, what we had time and what we had energy to do. Uh, it, it was after Gree left, I was, I was really driven. I wanted a business. I didn't want just a shop or two shops. I wanted a business. I wanted to create something new there. Which was bigger, yeah. <laughs> and yeah. Uh, so after we left, I got free hands to just jump onto it and do do more and be more spontaneous. On um, she was more careful than I am, and uh, and lots of good. And um, but without her, I kind of jumped on every opportunity I could get. So yeah, after that, Did- it grew a lot. That's that's really interesting too. It's it, it, so, I mean, I think some people find their a sense of comfort in having business partners because they're not alone, whereas others feel you know liberated and you know by being on their own and being able to make their own calls without having to answer to anybody. Do, do, where do you kind of fit on that scale? I like to take make the decisions. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Fair yes. enough. Yeah, uh, it's the uh, yeah. I think if I would go into a business again, I would uh, be the major shareholder. Yeah, that's an interesting one. I mean, it sounds like you had a very positive partnership and relationship and you're still friends and all that sort of stuff, which is great. It's, um, but the, this essence of control um, and the ability to actually make decisions and not get bogged down, I, th- I think can be quite a critical one. Yeah, and you have to take all the responsibility as well. And uh, But I think... Uh, Happy to do that. Happy to take the ups and the downs. Yeah, and and so how long did you run Nordic Fusion for before you exited? Yeah, <clears throat> so so that was fifteen years in total. Okay, cool. Yeah, great. Slow grow, but eventually. Mm, that's I mean that's an established period, right? It's you know we all hear the statistics around around businesses so so you bought out your partner around year four four-ish something like that and then and then you've started to sort of turn your hand to to perhaps some other stuff so can you can you give me a sense of how big the business grew before you exited uh, we turned over about two and a half million at at that stage when was when i sold it yeah, so great. It, it was and we had 15 15 um people most part-time because um, there was a great um, group of people, women who, lots of, most of us uh, women who had been previously working in the city and then been home with kids and then you have a pool of fantastic, like smart and keen women uh, in the workforce who wants to work part-time from your local area. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah it makes that makes a bit of sense. It's um, yeah, so that's interesting. So you built up over a couple of million revenue. I mean, that must have been exciting, given given you know the early days and 
um, did you were you confident? Um, you know, what, what were your thoughts about the future? Could could it could you grow it, keep growing it? If you'd stayed on, you know, did you think it, it was a lot of upside to it? Oh, definitely lots of upside on the online side. So when when I started to when you start to see the trends over in the US about how brick and mortar started to slow down, which is years ago now when uh, when that started to happen there, it's I started to think about what, what do I really want to do? Do I want to reinvent? I mean, at that stage we have had a few different websites which we kind of redevelop and implement new new systems and uh, around that, but. I realized that to do it properly, you have to do go really hard on online side. And that requires one, lots of money today, like lots of money and lots of work. It's you have to invest to have someone working on, on just the website every day, all the time or a few people. So it's uh, to do it. I knew that I, if I was going to do it, you had to do it really well. Was that part of the motivation for you thinking of exiting? Yes, part of it was if I really wanted to take that next step and um, take. I, need, I felt I needed to invest to go to the next step. I would need to do really national marketing, go much harder on that, go much harder on the online site, and uh, that that would be where we would could grow. And I wasn't sure I was the right person to do that. I'm not really. I would have to hire someone who's much better on marketing and that side and strategies and things. And that was a new level for the business. And I wasn't really keen to put that much more effort in. Yeah, yeah. Because when you have a business, growing business, it's 365 days a week, as of 365 days a year, as everybody knows, who runs a business. Yeah, it can be. It can certainly be all all consuming. And and were there any other factors that were kind of driving you to think about exiting? No, our, my kids had. Uh, my oldest was about to get closer to her HSC years, and. I had always been working and always been the mom who said, oh, called another mom, oh, can you pick up my daughter? I forgot about the concert or all these things. And I felt that I, I can, if I want to, I can be, be present the last few years. So that was part of it as well. Yeah, so it was nice. a mix of deciding to go full on because just to status quo in a business was not an option for me. Sure, sure. It's uh, you know, I think that seems to be a common thread with a lot of entrepreneurs is that standing still is going backwards. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, that's boring. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Fair enough. So, when you started thinking of exiting, did you what did you think the business was kind of worth at the time? Initially, uh, when I started to look, you, you you go into these websites of um, agents, which screams loudest and advertise biggest, and you think your business is worth so much because <laughs> you see a multiple, which is given by someone who wants to sign you up, which is fantastic. And 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 sorry to and just to jump in on that. When you say you see a multiple, what do you mean by that? A multiple of of what? A multiple of your uh, turnover or a multiple on your profit, okay. and uh, how much times that someone is willing to pay. 
So, and and sales agent would give you an indication that if you make a profit of hundred thousand, or there's people who wants to pay ten times that in the market <laughs> initially, or five, you know. Yeah. And yeah. initially, you hear these very high numbers, and that's what you fly away with. It's like, oh wow. And um, I did so that gets you quite interesting to say, okay, if I can get that much, why am I slogging away all these hours? And um, then you learn, or I learned after signing up with someone, the, they, the first sales agent I signed up with when I saw these numbers was one of these where you pay, the, then it was you pay $10,000 and uh, they will sell it within two months. Yeah, right. Wow. <laughs> and that didn't happen. And, yeah. But you had to sign up for six months or something like that, six or nine months. And the, all they do, they put an ad in and, and take the rest 8,000 and put in their own pockets. Sorry. So, the, yeah, right. Okay. So, and, and we won't mention names and stuff like no, that. But when I, you say agent, yeah, it, was it a, like a business broker or were they a real estate agency? What is it something like that? Uh, yeah, business broker. Um, yep. And it's like in all all different uh, areas. There's good ones and bad ones, yeah. and and I think that that's if I can give an advice to anyone is to really do the research which brokers are good because there's some. The, at the end, I had a really good one who was honest about the numbers, who did lots of research, and never promised me anything more than was was reality. And uh, did research on uh, to get references from other people who had used him, etc. And uh, I think that was the goal is to not expect too much because that just get, makes you angry. Yeah, look, I think that seems to be a um, yeah. I've heard that sort of experience a lot. Yeah, look, I also think too there's, there is sometimes an element where existing owners can sometimes not see risks in their own business the way external people might. I, I kind of liken it to um, the risk of and, and fear, therefore, of, of flying. You know, if you're a pilot and, and I'm a passenger and I'm afraid of flying, like our perception of risk is going to be very, very different, right? Yeah. <laughs> the, the real risk is actually the same to both of us. We're both on the same flight, but, but you know, our understanding of it or recognition of it can be very, very different and... Um, I think when business owners are running a company, they they get used to running it, and and you know they don't they're not worried about certain things necessarily happening because they've been around for as you say fifteen years. You know if you haven't had major issues in fifteen years, it's probably likely you're not going to. Um, whereas somebody coming in who doesn't know your business, they're going to and you know a they don't know it, they don't know you, they don't you know there's all those variables that I guess mm. are running through their heads. So absolutely, um, yeah. yeah. So. That's um, and I think business owners, lots of us, small businesses in particular, think that our business are so special. It's yeah. very uh, unique. Uh, it's hard to find a business owner who don't think that their idea is unique or their business is unique in one way or another. But that might not necessarily be giving you the profit or uh, revenues which you you would like to have as an investor who buys a business. 
Yeah, I think that that makes a lot of sense. Um, yeah, I think as owners too, we, we see how much effort we've put in, right? Mm. <laughs> it's, you yeah. think, well, that's, that's worth something. <laughs> yes, yeah. <laughs> so what sort of a, um, when you finally did sell, what was the kind of final methodology, if you will, to, that, that determined the, the final price? Like what, what sort of multiple did you achieve? Oh, I can't remember now. I think it was around, it, because the, in the business was three different parts, and so that was important to establish the different parts and get the books in order to represent these different parts because online business, retail and wholesale is, give, is three quite different multiples of walls then of what you can get back. So the first stage with the latest broker I had was to establish where will we be able to advertise and get the best return on the money. So that made me focus on that particular area in the business for the last year and make sure that the books were in order. Another important thing to uh, to mention is no buyer of a business will buy because you say, oh, there, but there's a lot of money I, you actually get tax return on because uh, you have put through all your toilet paper or whatever from home on your business. But all that's going to be is going to show an expense in your business, which is very, which a buyer won't, he doesn't know if you're, if that's your actual expense or if that's your family's expense. So I think the good advice I got was to make sure that the books are in order and shows the business you try to sell and not mix it in with other things. Um. And uh, the person I sold to at the end, she was very, very particular, which I think you are when you spend a lot of money. Most people would mortgage their house to buy a new business, buy into a business. And she cut every cost into details and I could stand behind everything and knew exactly what it was because everything was black and white, what reality was. And I think that was, you don't, it's not that many buyers always on the (laughs) knocking on your door so you need to take care of the ones which are there and be on mm. get them to be confident yeah yeah I, I in my experience um you know everything comes out during due diligence um and and i've found some of our clients and people i've spoken to other guests even sometimes feel quite um and a little bit vulnerable but and a little bit exposed and just a little bit you know, drawn out during that process. How did you find the due diligence period and, and how long did it go for? Uh, went for with the buyer? Yeah, yeah, with the buyer. Um, yeah. Oh, they went for seven months. Oh, wow. And at the end I was really sick and tired of the questions and it's like just <laughs> bloody believe me, I'm honest. I'm a very honest person. <laughs> and I I struggled a bit, I have to say, towards the end with um, someone questioning me all the time when I always, I feel I'm always honest and always tell the truth. And why do you keep on questioning me? But looking back, I mean, when you're in the middle of it, you, you, you're emotional. And now looking back, I understand why she was because there was a lot of money. Yeah, yeah, that still that is a long time, and it's um, you know we have a bit of a saying that deal deal fatigue is a very real thing. You know, people just get tired and over it. Yeah. Um And and in fact, I've seen that sink deals where people just throw their hands up and say, "I'm done. Oh, I'm, yeah. I'm just walking away." I was so. close to that a few times when I just said, <laughs> "I can't deal with it anymore." It's like I'm I'm happy to continue and have a good salary, 
but then we did stick with it. Yeah. So. Well, glad you got the outcome and uh, and that it went through okay. Um, did you, after you sold, did you have to hang around for very long and do a handover and all that sort of stuff? Uh, no, only three months. Okay. So okay. I had a three months uh, when I helped, came into the office when needed and uh, got an hourly rate for that, which we agreed in advance. And then um, after that, I just had a two years clause that I couldn't start similar business in the area. Yeah, non competes. Okay. Yeah. yeah, that's all. That's all pretty normal. That's interesting. And and so after you'd kind of completed this sale and you've done your three months, did did you ever have moments of remorse where you sort of regretted selling or that you felt like maybe you should have hung on? No, <laughs> never. I had straight away. I had. The first uh, six months was my oldest daughter's last HSC year and um, it was so nice to be able to be there and cut up fruit for for the first time. And after when she finished, I had a year when I had my yes year. And so I just said yes to everything. And I (laughs) travelled everywhere and went to – that was the year I turned 50 and lots of my – Friends turned 50, so I went to 50s parties everywhere in the world, which was fantastic. Never regretted it. (laughs) That sounds fantastic. (laughs) Yes. Um, I was going to ask you, did you buy yourself some sort of gift or reward after after, um, selling? Uh, I don't know if you did other than the travel because the travel sounds like a gift to me. But (laughs) Yeah, the travel was the main. That was the main thing. And then I did buy a car as well. Nice, nice. I think you've got to reward yourself for these yeah. things, right? I yeah. mean, it's a lot of hard work. So, no, that's cool. And so where did you go after this? You've sold the business. You've had some time off. You took a year of saying yes to everything, which sounds brilliant. Um, what happened after that? Uh, yeah, after that, uh, then I played a little bit of – learned to play golf and did yoga and drank coffee, and <laughs> I started to get itchy again that I, I needed to fill my days with something something more, something challenging and did a bit of renovation and, and that kind of things, but it wasn't enough. So I had a, an evening. I had tried to think about something I could do where I can use my connection with people, uh, with my experience of numbers and banking and maybe of international banking. I tried to think of different things where I didn't need to be in an office in the city all the time as well. I want to be flexible as well. And um, one of my good old friends from Singapore was over and she said, why don't you start as a mortgage broker? And I thought, oh, that sounds interesting. So Googled the day after and realized I had to do um, a Australian qualification for that. And then the week after I started that. So by December last year, I was finished and started working in January. So now I am a mortgage broker. I have teamed up with um, a mortgage broker who's been working as a broker for 10 years. So Sally, she has fantastic experience as a mortgage broker. And I have good experience as in business and all with banking. So I understand that side of it. So I've I'm now helping. Uh, I feel I can. I can really understand. Most of my clients are self-employed, and by having that experience myself, it's 
makes it easier to just jump in. And I understand the books, I understand the balance sheet, I understand PL, and understand how maybe to present that to the lenders and why certain things are more important than others in that relationship. So I'm now trying to help other people to get their finances. Yeah, no, that's great. I, I imagine too, having been a small business owner and for many, many years, there must be an element too of understanding the the journey your clients are on. You've walked in their shoes, you know the highs and lows, you understand that. So I guess from an emotional perspective too, you must be able to form that connection with them as well. Mm, yes, yeah, it, it's you definitely do. And you understand why because you get there um, to, to analyse if how much and where we, we need to borrow money. You have to read their uh, PL and the balance sheets. And then you can also talk to them. Listen, is this really what we do? Is this the truth? Is this really the reality? Because suddenly you, on the other side, most people has tried to present something to have as little tax as possible. But suddenly to the lender, you have to present it as you actually earn a fair bit of money. Yeah. So, so that, um, the understanding of where they come from is is very useful. Yeah, it makes sense. Makes sense. Um, I know, um, Camilla, you're you're obviously based in Sydney, but um, do do you only look after clients in Sydney, or is it do do you do other work remotely with people in other areas? I do have uh, clients uh, both latest Newcastle and in Queensland and uh, down Nowra area. So m- most clients are in Sydney, definitely around uh, uh, where we are. But uh, with the laptop today and with Zoom and FaceTime, there's no problem to to work for a client anywhere in Australia. Yeah, no, that's great. Camilla, I'm going to put you on the spot in a moment and, um, and, and ask you maybe if there's one tip that you would share with your fellow business owners out there who are perhaps still on their journey. But um, before I do that, are you, are you happy for people to reach out and contact you? Oh, absolutely. If I can help anyone, I'm more than happy. And uh, so I am now working for a company called Sandcastle Finance. Mm-hmm. So you can either find me on LinkedIn, Camilla Bowhill, or at camilla at sandcastlefinance.com.au. Excellent. Um, we will put some links uh, in the show notes for this episode so, so well, to make it easy for people. Um, and if for those listening, if you do reach out to Camilla via LinkedIn and send her a connection, please put a note and perhaps just let her know that you heard her on the podcast so she has a little context as to why you're reaching out. That sounds great, Camilla. And uh, so I'm really appreciative of you of coming on the show. Um, I'll, I'll put you on the spot and ask you, you know, is, is there one tip that you would perhaps share with your fellow entrepreneurs? <laughs> it feels like I've, I've talked about lots of that already, but it's, uh, <laughs> I think the, be honest to yourself and be honest uh, throughout with what you do. Do your research um, before you're selling and make sure that you um, also take, don't, skip to take references when you're selling a business. Yeah, that sounds like, uh, like good advice. Camilla, thank you so much for your time and for sharing your story with us. It's been really interesting. Thank you. My pleasure.
The ultimate freedom is to own a company that is valuable, scalable, and saleable. Find out how you score on the eight factors that drive company value by completing the Value Builder questionnaire. Upon completion, we will send through your business scorecard so you can see how to maximize the value of your company. Just go to exitadvisory.com.au forward slash scorecard. The Buy, Grow, Sell podcast is brought to you by Exit Advisory Group, a boutique M&A firm that helps business owners maximize company value and exit at the top of their game. To learn more about Exit Advisory Group, you can go to exitadvisory.com.au. And if you like what you've just heard, you can subscribe at buygrowsell.com to get a new episode delivered to your inbox each week. Thank you for listening to the Buy, Grow, Sell podcast with Simon Bedard. For complete show notes with links to additional resources, visit buygrowsell.com forward slash episodes. Simon is the founder and CEO of Exit Advisory Group, and you can follow him on LinkedIn. LinkedIn.